2: now
3: Go to NobleGoldInvestments.com. Now, NobleGoldInvestments.com. Best performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision.
4: Hello, everyone. Great to be live with you. Well, my friend, independent journalist Steve Baker is back in Houston just in time for (laughs) this developing news after audio from the police dispatch on January 6th has been leaked, showing what police were really up to when they appeared to stand down and let the crowds come on into the Capitol when Ashley Babbitt was shot. What happened with that? Um, Steve was actually there on January 6th. Yeah. You personally witnessed the officer standing down.
5: Yes. Yeah. Saw that with my own eyes.
4: And what was your first reaction when you saw that?
5: Uh, it was it was kind of shock and surprise because it was a moment in time that it happened, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the the floodgates were opened from the west terrace, and people started pouring up those steps underneath the scaffolding, and then eventually, within minutes, you know they were they were filing into the Capitol by the hundreds when wow. we saw that. Yeah.
4: Okay, I want to play the initial clip. Uh, I, I I cut out some of the key sound bites from this ongoing recording of police audio from January 6. I want to show you how Officer Tariq Johnson, a key figure. Actually, let me show you an image of him. He's on the cover of this thumbnail. Uh that's Officer Tariq Johnson. I uh, he's that's probably not his correct title.
5: Tariq is how he says oh. his name, but it's yeah, it's uh, he was a lieutenant.
4: He was a lieutenant yep. Tariq Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um he was desperately trying to get an answer from the assistant chief number two in command mm-hmm. at US Capitol Police and getting zero answer as to what to do with this unprecedented situation. Hey, can we evacuate people? Silence.
5: This was happening all day with him. He, You start hearing his voice on the radio much earlier than the evacuation time. So early in the day, He's actually calling in for assistance for the uh, injured officers. He's trying to set up uh, decontamination tents. He's trying to Uh, have... For
4: the the tear gas...
5: For the he, Yeah, and all the pepper spray that they were oh, right. getting hit with. He was ordering, you know, cases of water to be brought to the various locations where they were trying to assist those officers. And then in addition to that, he was constantly calling on the radio for reinforcements of, of USCP, United States Capitol Police uh, units, as they call them, individual officers, to relocate here, relocate there. We need you on this side. We need you this place. And wow. so this was going on all day long up until the point where he himself actually called for, and this was really an amazing moment, he actually ordered all of what they call the M4 units to come inside the building, M4 being the automatic rifles. So the guys actually trained in carrying the automatic rifles, he ordered them to come inside the building and actually said, we are not going to use lethal force against the protesters. Wow. Get inside the building now because we can't risk any of them taking the rifles away from you. So that was the first order he gave to the officers to come inside because they weren't getting any direction from command at all. Now, understand, Chief of Police Stephen Sund was in the command center, but he was on the phones. He had the sergeant of arms, the sergeants at arms from both the House and the Senate, the National Guard. He was on the phone with other people uh, other yeah. other agencies they I mean they brought in um, state police all the way from New Jersey uh, wow. obviously Virginia and uh, Maryland yeah so, so he, the
4: chief is trying to get back up right to come into town right but, but the assistant chief or someone should be, who's actually seeing all the surveillance cameras and understands what's going on, should be giving direction. But there was silence as this audio shows. Okay, we're going to show the audio in just a sec. First, got to shout out the sponsor of my coverage, which is Noble Gold. Noble Gold Investments is pleased to let you know that gold is the best investment class of 2022 through all of our record-breaking inflation rate, crashing market, crypto scams. There's one asset that held its own, and that's gold. According to long Gold has actually outperformed the S&P 500. Dow, Bitcoin for 2022 beat them all. Had you invested in the S&P 500 a year ago, you would be more than 20% down. Yeah, that was me and it sucks. (laughs) And if your investment in... If you invested in Bitcoin a year ago, you'd be down more than 65%. It really sucks. And if you invested in the Dow a year ago, you would be down almost 10%. Yes, gold has outperformed all of them in 2022 and silver is not far behind. behind. While the world was busy hailing other assets as the real hedge, gold and silver are the only asset that would have protected your wealth. So join the thousands of others by opening a gold IRA or silver IRA with Noble Gold Investments Get in before the end of the month and you'll bag a free quarter ounce American Gold Eagle coin with every qualifying IRA of 50000 or more. Can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments and their thousands of five star reviews. Of course, there's always a risk of loss, though, in any inve- uh, investment. But shout out to Noble Gold, link down below for more details. Okay, let me play this first soundbite of Officer Tarek Johnson or Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, calling to the command center, saying, "Hey, can we evacuate the House and Senate chambers?" And they're silent. Four, two, so no two, second floor.
0: The
3: members accounted for. At some point, we have to be. We plan to get people out of the Capitol. I copy that. One, two, three platoons. One through three respond to the House side. Uh, platoons four, six, seven, and eight respond to the rotunda for the meet for Unit Six. Fourteen twenty-two hours.
4: Yeah, so with that, he was he was saying, uh, it was 2.22 p.m., I believe, he was saying, mm-hmm. at some point we need to evacuate, because he was trying to get that to happen there. He wasn't hearing back right. from his, his boss, the assistant chief, who was assistant chief Pittman. What's her first name?
5: Yogananda.
4: Yogananda. This is her. Right. Yogananda was in silence for some reason as she was surveying all the surveillance cameras from her command center and could see exactly what was happening where but she was giving no instruction to her officers why do you think
5: that was that's a great question isn't it and it's the big and most overriding question of the day probably probably the most important question of the day because not only did these frontline officers show up to work that day just thinking, it was another day at the office. They were given no preliminary uh, instructions, orientation details. Really, there was going, nothing. They were given nothing in terms. This was testified because they
4: knew it was going to be a massive uh, rally at the least.
5: Everybody, everybody knew it. Uh, the, obviously, the head of the United States Capitol Police knew it because they themselves had issued permits. For the side stages, for the VIP speakers that were going to be taking and uh, uh, meetings and protests that were going to be taking place on the Capitol lawn later the, that day after the president's speech at the Ellipse. Right. So there were organized, planned, permitted protests, speakers, sound systems, stages, marches. All of this was scheduled, and yet these individual officers showed up with no notification whatsoever that that was taking place that day. Wow. And we learned that in the first Oathkeepers trial. Wow. Yeah, uh, by, by direct testimony of one of the United States Capitol Police officers, Ryan Salky, he testified that uh, when he showed up that day that he knew the only thing that he knew was going on at the town in town was something was happening at the White House. That's literally what he said in court. I just knew something was happening at the White House. Wow. Yeah, how about that?
4: Okay, so I'm going to play the next sound by Six minutes later, uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson... Officially requests, like, can we evacuate the, the Congress? No response.
5: 405, J. John, go with your message. 405, J. John, with a message.
3: Um, I want to advise that we start to evacuate the Senate floor before we won't have a chance to. We have a clear directional site to get out of the Senate door from the second floor. I need permission to go ahead and initiate that copy.
5: 401.
6: Lock the doors up. Just lock them. Four zero one. All
5: right. I need permission for zero four zero five John. Four zero five j John, I need permission to
6: uh back with the Senate. He has a zenith floor, he has a clear sight to uh get everyone out.
4: So, I guess that's the dispatcher reiterating what he's saying. Saying, yeah. hey, can, can we get permission? Exactly. And it's just, Yogananda is nowhere to be found.
5: Yeah, and she's in a command center. It's in another building from the Capitol. The, the United States Capitol Police have control or protective authority over a, about 20 buildings in the, the whole Capitol Hill complex there. And the um, command center is in another building. As I mentioned earlier, uh, herself, uh, the chief of police, Steven Sun, and I think there was another assistant there as well. But the point being is is that she was monitoring all of the United States Capitol uh, closed-circuit television monitors. She knew what was happening, not just inside, but the entire perimeter. She could see the development of the crowds, where they were coming from, where they were moving to, whether they were circling around to the east side, all of that in advance. And never once did she ever notify any of the officers of the preceding crowds coming to whatever area that they were located in or trying to defend or whatever the case may be. The only time we heard her voice was twice. The first time was at exactly 2 o'clock p.m. This was right after uh, Lieutenant Johnson ordered uh, issued a pullback order to have everyone come inside. Wow! Right after that, she came on and she ordered that the Capitol building be locked down. And there was another captain on the audio who responded to her rather derisively, I might say, and said, we've already done that. (sighs) Because he himself, the captain, had ordered a lockdown of the Capitol building an hour prior. So she wasn't even monitoring or paying attention to or registering what was going on on the the radio transmissions at the time. And then we heard her voice the last time, eight minutes later, when she ordered a campus-wide lockdown, of the entire Capitol campus. Now, this was, you have to understand, what was taking place at 2.08 p.m. when she made this. By that time, there were no less than 10,000 protesters that had descended on the Capitol grounds at that time, no less than 10,000. And she had heard, ostensibly, the pullback order of the officers to be inside the building. So when she ordered a lockdown of the entire campus, that was the most idiotic order that a commander could issue because how do you lock down the entire campus when all of your officers are inside? Are right. supposed to be. Right. And what were they going to do?
4: <laughs> uh, so these officers were carrying automatic, like, machine guns?
5: Some were. They have a unit. Uh, the Capitol Police has a what they call a long gun unit, mm-hmm. and they carry M4 uh, weapons. And as a matter of fact, one of the first orders that really stands out in uh, Lieutenant Johnson's day was when he ordered all of the M4s inside, M4 automatic rifles. He said, I need all of the M4s inside. He actually said, we are not going to use lethal force against these protesters and we can't afford for any of those protesters to take your guns, so you guys wow. need to get inside now.
4: Wow. And and this is him again, yeah. uh, Lieutenant uh, Tarek Johnson. Uh, so you were you were where were you when that happened because you said you witnessed to this?
5: Yeah, I witnessed the uh, the stand down or the pullback order at uh, it was about one fifty nine pm. I was on the west Ter- lower West Terrace side. By then, I had moved from the south side of the West Terrace to get out of- because we were downwind from about a thirty mile an hour. Cross north to south wind, and if you were downwind, you were getting hit with that pepper spray. Wow. So I moved over to the east side, so now I'm right in front of that famous scene that everybody has, uh, has seen in video, uh, where, where the uh, more violent, agitated protesters were up underneath the scaffold building, uh, scaffolding and pulling the tarps off of, because that was where they were setting up mm. the, the scaffolding for the Inaugural Ball. Mm. Or inaugural, uh, Inauguration, not Inaugural Ball, the Inauguration. And so at, at 1.59, all of a sudden, you see this pullback of the officers. And, and then within a couple of minutes, then it's just a free flow of humanity up underneath those scaffolding steps. Yeah, it just,
4: as an onlooker, you're, you're like, so it, it felt like the officers were welcoming people in.
5: Uh, you know, obviously, we have seen video of various law enforcement officers, Capitol Police. Uh, probably the most famous one is the female Capitol Police officer when the east side barricade is open. And then she just starts waving them in like Literally this. Literally waving them in. Yeah, away. she's waving them in. Um. Don't, don't have an answer for that. We also see uh, at another location on the west side, another uh, west, uh, upper west terrace door, where the door opens from the inside and a long stream of protesters start filing through. And one of the Capitol Police officers says, I don't agree with it, but you guys you know, behave yourself, something to that extent. <laughs> you hear that on the video. And, and then there were some other instances as well that we've seen kind of from, from actual um, uh, closed-circuit television overhead where officers themselves held doors open. I mean, they literally held doors open for protesters as they were coming in. I think that that was a direct result of what they perceived in the pullback order to be a stand-down, and they felt overwhelmed. They were already told that they were not going to use lethal force and so rather than inflame the situation any more than it already had been, they just took a step back and allowed it to happen. I don't believe for a second, because, as I said, because um, uh, the Epic Times came into uh, possession of the audio and the transcripts of the United States Capitol Police radio transmissions that day, uh, and because I was working with uh, their reporter, Joe Hanneman, on that story for several weeks, that I was able to hear all of the audio. I was able to read it myself, uh, the transcripts, and I can tell you that there was no such order ever given to Capitol Police frontline officers to allow people to come in or to welcome people in. Mm. It just seemed that in the chaos of the moment, and if you listen to the radio transitions, you you can tell they. Individually, from one side of the building, that's a huge complex. They don't know what's yeah. going on. They hear, they're hearing reports of shots fired long before Ashley Babbitt was shot, and it was not correct. There were no shots fired. Not there, from,
4: were flash bangs.
5: there were flashbangs. There were flashbangs from other
4: officers. Yeah,
5: and other places, but they don't know. They right. don't know what's happening. Right, and and so you hear the chaos and the confusion on the radio. Some of it panicked. I mean, some of it's really panicked uh, responses coming in, Mm -hmm. begging for help, begging for direction, begging for a plan, and not getting any response from command whatsoever. Wow. So the guys on the ground, like, and most specifically, uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, just took, he took control himself.
4: So, I'm going to play the next audio here, where he finally says, you know, we're just going to evacuate, the House and Senate chamber now before I play this weren't a lot of the members of Congress already long gone by by
5: 2:30 um,
4: p.m. on January 6th
5: I don't know what we would define as a lot. Certainly, a few were not there. We know that AOC, for instance, was in another building, so that some of them were not actually in there witnessing the proceeding of the the uh, debate and the speeches related to the ratification of of or the certification rather of the uh, um, uh, the The uh, votes. Yeah, the the electoral college vote. So some Mm -hmm. of them were not in there, and then of course we also know that Pelosi, because she's you know, third in line to the presidency, or was at the time, she was evacuated quite a few minutes early by her own protective detail. As soon as the Capitol itself was breached, they came in and got her. uh, And obviously they took the vice president out early as well Mm. and then left the remaining members of of the Senate and the Congress in their respective chambers. I don't know how many of them were not in the chambers at uh, at the time, but uh, certainly the vast majority of them were still in there.
4: All right, so then this is 2.29 p.m., January 6th. Uh, Lieutenant Johnson initiates the evacuation on his own because his boss is nowhere to be found.
0: Okay. I'm going
3: to go ahead and do it anyway. I'll take the 5.50 or 5.34. We're evacuating now on the north
4: side. everybody, I'll just the door. Copy.
5: I copy that. Evacuation
3: is being executed at this time, 1429 hours.
4: So he says... After he says, I'm going to evacuate, he says, I'll take the 550 or the 534. What does that mean? The
5: 550 and the 534 are the actual uh, Capitol Police codes for the disciplinary actions that he was about to subject himself to by initiating the evacuating, evacuation of the Senate without command authority. Wow. And he said, I'll take it. Because he, he said the situation is dire. And, and it was, from their perspective, it was dire, because this is, this is something that America, and particularly Americans on our side, really need to come to grips with, is that these individual officers had no idea, as I said what, earlier, what was going on that day. But can you imagine standing on the front line there on the Lower West Terrace, and you're, and you're, getting, you're getting pepper sprayed by protesters, Wait, the
4: protesters were pepper spraying?
5: Yes, yes. I thought it was the police. Oh no, no, no! Protesters were showing up with not just you know little small protective you know size canisters. They were some of them were showing up with tanks. What? The pepper spray guns? They were they were uh, clubbing the offers officers with flagpoles. They were clubbing them with other blunt force objects. They were tearing a black f- so you have out here you have a black wrought iron fence around your property, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this it wasn't quite that big, but they were tearing a metal permanently permanent structure fence apart and turning that those pieces of the fencing into clubs and spear projectiles and throwing it at the officers. Oh wow! Now these this is the initial line. This is these are the people that breached the first barricade with. You know the famous Ray Epps, and these are the people that got there first and initiated the violence on that Lower West Terrace. By the time I, I got there, just minutes later, about one nineteen p.m., and the, the the violence was fully engaged. But the point I was making: Can you imagine being an officer and you're on your radio, and all of a sudden you're hearing these panic calls to run to the West Terrace to defend against this violence that's happening? And they were reporting it on the radio. So all of a sudden, they're running down there. They don't have helmets on. They don't have eye protection. They don't have gas masks. They have no protective gear whatsoever. And they're standing on that front line taking a beating. But more importantly, behind them, looking over the shoulders and over the heads of the, that initial front group of violent provocateurs that, let's be honest, they were there. They were real. We can debate who they were with and who they were representing. Mm-hmm. But... They were there, but can you imagine those officers who thought it was just going to be another day at the office, they're looking over the shoulders and seeing thousands of people now coming up behind them. Right. And not knowing their intention, not knowing if they have more lethal weapons with them, can you imagine the fear that they had? And that was the first thing I saw in the eyes of those officers that day, because I was right there, I was, had my camera going, and I captured that fear in their eyes. Wow. And, and, and I saw that all day long. Now, that doesn't by any means excuse the pay- behavior of some of the individual officers that day. There were some bad actors that day that responded more violently themselves, they responded inappropriately that day. And then, of course, then there's the story of the Metropolitan Police arriving. And these guys came ready to knock heads because, Ooh. you know, the Metropolitan Police were much more experienced in dealing with violent protests in the Capitol. Uh, all, I mean, particularly the year preceding after George Floyd's death, they were having to deal with the BLM riots, Antifa, all of this. Mm. And so the, the Metropolitan Police showed up and they had a whole different look in their eyes.
6: Oh, wow. They,
5: a lot of them looked like they were enjoying it.
4: I, I was recently told it was 1.7 million Trump supporters there that day.
5: That's a, that's a large estimate, but I don't, I don't know uh, uh, for sure. But that's larger than what I estimated it to be. But, it, but nevertheless, can you imagine, as I said, those officers standing there and looking and seeing tens of thousands of people coming their way and having no idea what their intentions are. And because of that, several of those officers got on the phone, as did... Former Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, he called his wife. He said, tell the kids I love them. I don't think I'm coming home today.
4: Wow. That's crazy. He thought he would die. So I put the headline. I mentioned Ashley Babbitt in this headline, and I've interviewed her husband about her tragic death being shot by a Capitol Police officer. Michael Berg. they say. Mm-hmm. I still have conspiracy theories about whether he really shot her, but... You know, or, or if it, someone else did. But, so this audio, uh, uh, it, the timeline's very interesting to me because I had thought that members of Congress were long gone at the time that she and others were coming through through that window. Right. Apparently, Lieutenant uh, Johnson or ordered that evacuation on his own 10 to 15 minutes before she was shot.
5: He was asking for permission for the, to, for the evacuation. First, he, he, he was there and asked for permission from command to evacuate the Senate. Senate, And that's when he said, disregard, I'm going to do it anyway. I'll mm-hmm. take the 550 and the 534, the disciplinary action, but I'm evacuating the Senate now. Mm-hmm. As soon as that was initiated and the senators were out and he received radio response from other officers that were ex- uh, uh, exiting them down uh, the, the staircases into the, the lower levels of the Capitol, into the tunnels. As soon as he was aware that they were safely out, then he took out and busted in a run to the house side and then did it all over again. So he starts asking for permission from command to evacuate the house. He, he calls in, radios in, he says, I have a clear shot, I have a shot, we can get them out now. Silence. Nothing. And so finally, and that's
4: that's where Ashley was, right? Because she, she was, was about to go into the House Speaker's lobby, Correct. Nancy Pelosi's lobby. Yep. And so I didn't realize this all happened minutes apart. And you interviewed Lieutenant Johnson, yes. and he he was basically saying that at least he told he told the Epic Times because the Epic Times uh, put this story out. Which let me show this real quick. Epic Times. So this is actually this is developing news, like I said, and I'm just going to show you guys. Law and Crime picked up the Epic Times story. Um, it's just you're going to be seeing it on other outlets tomorrow as well. But here's the original story from the Epic Times. They interview uh, Lieutenant Johnson, and he says that had his boss actually answered and responded and said, yes, let's do this evacuation. The, that entire chamber would have been empty by the time Ashley Babbitt came through. She yep. would have gone into an empty lobby. There would have been no uh, Officer Byrd there to shoot her. Yep. It, everything would have been good.
5: Officer Byrd was actually the one, after Pelosi had left, that went to the podium in in the House chamber and announced to everyone that we were going to begin. Uh, we're mm. going to begin an, an evacuation. Told them to reach under their seats, pull out the, the oxygen bags, put mm. those on. Such that that was actually Lieutenant Michael Byrd who made that announcement. Mm. And then he went to protect the hallway where they were about. Many of them were about to be led down, and had command. As, and this is under the direct um, testimony. Well, testimony is not the correct way to say it because it didn't take place in a court of law. But this is what he told myself and Joe Hanneman of the Epic Times was that had he had received permission to evacuate the house even eight minutes earlier, that uh, not only would Michael Byrd or not only would all of the the Congress people been out of that. That area, but Michael Byrd would have then have been es- uh, escorting them himself down the rest of the way, basically as the as the follow up um, protectee or protector of those uh, law- uh, lawmakers and But what ended up happening is they were still being evacuated of that hallway. Michael Byrd was guarding that hallway now you can debate whether he acted inappropriately or not, whether he got trigger happy all of that all that 's fair game, but the reality is is that had command given Tarek Johnson, the authority to evacuate, only eight minutes earlier when he asked for it, that incident would have never happened because Bird would have not been there, and who knows whether she would have, whether they, whether those more violent people that were around her that were busting those windows open would have even been doing that.
4: Yeah, you were you were there. You saw her dying. Guys, he saw her dying, and he, he documented Steve showed up as an independent journalist um, just to cover this major rally. Had no idea this would all go down. and uh, But he filmed and photographed the entire thing. I'm going to show you guys a graphic picture that Steve took of Ashley. First of all, here's Ashley Babbitt. And, you know, her death is absolutely tragic. I interviewed her husband.
2: Order now
1: fighterflare.com.
4: Now, I want to show you guys this graphic photo. I'm sorry to show this, but this is what actually happened. This is her uh, well- t- you took this picture steve what what are we seeing here
5: uh, as I was exiting on the lower level of the south side, I was the only civilian I was the only journalist uh in that area of the Capitol. There was nobody on the lower su- at the lower south exit. And I had a, a young, very tiny, actually, female uh, Capitol Police officer that had come up and taken me by the arm, and she said, Sir, can I safely escort you from the building? And I said, Well, do I need to be safely escorted? She said, Yes, sir, you do. And so as she's walking me toward the exit door, all of a sudden, I noticed this commotion and it was just just to my left and about six feet from me and I saw FBI um, medics and tactical units surrounding somebody with a lot of blood. I couldn't tell that it was a female at the time because they had their hands on her chest, they were doing compressions, uh, they were working on her feverishly. Uh, all I could see was the shoes and jeans the shirt was off but I couldn't I, I couldn't see that it was a female and and so I turned to the officer and I said is he shot and she said yes he is I said who shot him she said we did I said why she said he pulled a gun on us what well again in the in that that fog of war the chaos of the moment those radio chatters are are sometimes unintelligible. There's panic among them, especially after real shots had been fired. And so they didn't know. They they just assumed that one of their own would not have shot somebody unless they pulled a gun on them. That was her assumption, obviously, at the moment. But she didn't know any more than I did. Uh-huh. And so at that moment, as we approached that door, the door suddenly busts open, and it's the EMT unit with the gurney coming in through that door. So we had to step aside after they got in she takes me to the door, and she said, please be safe. I said, you too. And I stepped out that door, and this was the only remaining barricade, let, police manned barricade left out outside. And it was on the south end, lower south entrance uh, or exit. And so I'm, I'm standing there inside the police line, and I just went down the ramp and then came around and got right in front of that door because I knew that if the gurney went in... There would be a gurney coming out that same door. Right. Thirty seconds later, those doors opened. Thirty seconds after that, the fully armed FBI SWAT team with the the medics, uh, our our, uh, EMTs were working on her, and they come out that door and then start going down the, the wheelchair ramp. And I just followed with my video camera and just went. I just followed her all the way down that ramp. And you can hear my voice on my own camera go, holy crap. It's it's a woman.
6: Wow. Because
5: I, now I could see her bare breast, and I could see her head was over to my side. The eyes were already gone. They were blank, and I've seen death before. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that whoever this was was gone. And in as, as soon as they took her off into the distance and loaded her up, and I followed it all the way down, and as soon as she was gone, I actually stopped and... and texted a couple of people, and I said, shots fired, a female's been hit, she's not going to make it. Wow. And I hit send, and of course, texts weren't going out at that time, but um. it went out, went out later. Wow. And, and so I could see in her eyes that she was already gone. And, but they were working on her hard, and so I can tell the conspiracy theorists that believe that she was a crisis actor of some sort, and believe that uh, all of that, inf- I've seen the videos, all of that was staged there when she um, leapt through the window. I saw her as the only civilian, the only journalist, and the only other people there in with me in that area. I, I mean, we're talking about nowhere else in this entire hallway were there any civilians other than myself. And I can tell you, that they were feverishly working to save this woman's life. And they were not doing that on camera as a um, stage play. This was real. Wow. And the blood was real.
4: That's horrifying. So do you agree with Lieutenant Johnson that had his command actually responded, that Ashley would still be alive?
5: Well, uh, you know, we we can't. Uh, change the future or, or even in hindsight predict what would or wouldn't have happened that day, but I can tell you that from my own personal review of that audio and by reading the transcripts themselves, spending untold hours on it. In fact, I'll tell you, is that when when the Epic Times granted me access to this information, I actually took it upon myself to actually do more accurate transcripts than they even had in the United States Capitol Police version of them, wow. because the USCP version that they had had um, issued to uh, defense attorneys in discovery, there were things missing. Mm. That's a whole other story.
0: Wow. But
5: I went through myself, and I did hours worth of my own study, listening. And retranscribing it more accurately than the, than even their transcripts were, and so I'm very familiar with what happened. So I can say that officer, uh, former officer, uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, is probably absolutely correct that just that eight minutes difference between the delay of not getting authority from command when he called in and said, "I have a clear shot to get them out." And then finally taking it upon himself to do it anyway was the difference between um, Ashley's walking out of there that day alive and not.
4: Wow. Uh, I was saying before the show, I wonder if his, his boss is... Wait, what's her first name again? Yogananda. Yogananda Pittman. I wonder if she was just, like, in panic mode because there's so much responsibility on her shoulders. Like, if she evacuates members of Congress... And evacuation was a bad move, and then Congress gets slaughtered, then it's on her shoulders. So I think she was just maybe in panic mode, silence.
5: Well, she, she was either a deer in the headlights, unprepared for that type of command. But let's be honest, the United States Capitol Police aren't prepared for that anyway. Now, yeah. They, they should be. Well, they I'm have freaking. they have what they call their hard units, which is their civil disturbance unit. They have the long rifle guys. She's the head of intelligence too, by the way. So she knew it was coming.
4: And gave her office. I just can't believe she gave her officers zero heads up. It's just another day, guys. Yeah,
5: that's there's exactly a, there's
4: right. a, no. There's not a rally today. It's another day.
5: No protest at the Capitol. <laughs> No advertised protests on the steps of the Capitol that day? Oh yeah, there's a flyer.
4: I think the officers were the only people in America who didn't know this was going to happen. It,
5: it pretty
4: Or you know, that it, a rally that a rally was going to happen.
5: But but let's, again, and I, and I wrote this in my article that I, I, I uh, uh, put out last week, uh, part one of a series I'm doing on this story about the Capitol Police. I'm doing an actual series. Uh, part two will probably be out tonight.
4: Link down uh, in my description for my Steve's, locals page. Yeah. Steve's locals page with all that incredible independent journalism.
5: And so what I said in the first uh, part of the series is I said... Even though they have all of these specialized units there, by and large, if you've been there 20 years as a uniformed Capitol Police officer, you've just been a glorified tour guide. That's really all you've ever done. That's how
4: cushy our country is. This is the fall of Rome, you guys. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but, but it is. They, you know, they, they, they have new members of Congress arriving every two years. They don't know where the restrooms are. They don't know where the <laughs> cafeteria. So they're helping them do that. VIP visitors uh, before COVID, because it was locked down for COVID at the time. There, it, mm-hmm. it was not open to the public at the time. People don't know that. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was closed to the public and had been since the COVID lockdowns. And uh, but before that, when it was open to the public, they're 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 answering questions, giving directions. They're doing their duty. They're standing their posts. They know who they have to protect. They have VIP protections, are you know that are more specialized. They, so they have all these very various more specialized training. But by and large, nothing ever really happens bad mm-hmm. there. That happens elsewhere in the MPD. The Metro Police have to deal with that kind of stuff. Okay. And so. It is true that regardless of their training, they did not have the experience or the expectation of what was coming their way that day.
4: It's almost like they need to like cycle these guys through so everyone gets a little taste of of every setting. Like put <laughs> maybe, the yeah. Capitol police um, in, in the in the hood for a little bit,
5: maybe to, yeah. to
4: deal with gangbangers, so that they can get back in the action, and then okay, back to your cushy Capitol job. You know, so Mm -hmm. that I'm having some flashbacks to Uvalde now and how unprepared those officers were because they had a cushy job, too. Nothing happens in tiny town, Uvalde, Texas. Right. So that's that's crazy. Um, I wanted to add yet. You keep referring to him as former lieutenant. He was fired or actually, no, he, he was suspended suspended for wearing this hat, you guys. So Lieutenant Johnson wore this MAGA hat the all day. Not all day. Um, Well, he put it on at some point. Now he said he put it on to actually protect himself and have more of a relationship with the the protesters, and uh, And befriend them.
5: This happened just prior to the time because he people now are going to know who this guy is because he more famously is the same officer who worked with and recruited two oath keepers to. Right. evacuate 16 of his officers who were trapped in the rotunda by some of the more agitated protesters.
4: He must have been one of the members of law enforcement who understood who the Oath Keepers were and are. They're, they're a group of retired police and military members, typically. Some of actually some are still uh, ongoing members of law enforcement who join the Oath Keepers. It's a, it's a club... Of like military and law enforcement guys, who um, volunteer or you know they go to different events to do, to work security and things like that. But mm-hmm. but they they're called the oath keepers because they're about upholding their oath to serve and protect. So I feel it just seems like Lieutenant Johnson was like, oh, those are oath keepers that they're familiar with law enforcement stuff. Let me get them to help.
5: There was something about their presence and something about his presence. And there was, a, there was a documentary filmmaker there in close at the moment who overheard the initial conversation between Tarek Johnson and these two Oath Keepers and they swung their cameras around and then captured the entire thing. Ooh. And so uh, Johnson was actually suspended not for overstepping command authority and evacuating the Senate and the House, we believe that he was suspended, or the excuse for being suspended was the red MAGA hat because they did not want the public to be aware of the failure of leadership that day that was happening mm. and that this guy. So they didn't just suspend him. So they suspended him, they busted him down from uh, lieutenant to private. Mm. And then put him on lockdown and a gag order for seventeen months. He was uh, Ivory, he was not even allowed to have a conversation or a phone call or any contact whatsoever with his best friend who was also a United States Capitol Police Officer. Wow. For seventeen months. So through all his legal wrangling with his attorneys, they finally got his rank back. They got his rank back, they got his pay back to, to, uh, to the level of a lieutenant, and then he was invited to come back to work. And instead of being the, you know uh, an officer with some authority, they gave him a desk job in an office in the middle of the Capitol with no uh, windows and said, this is where you're basically going to spend the rest of your career with the Capitol Police. And he already had 23 years in at that point, and he said, screw it, no, I quit and he left. Wow. And, of course, the second he left, the gag order was was no longer uh, enforceable.
6: Oh. And
5: so that's so he why... he went to the media. So that's why he came out as a whistleblower. Well, we it was a long, long path of getting to Officer Johnson and getting him to speak, and Joe Hanneman successfully executed that because... The first thing that took place, and I met Joe in uh, North Carolina. They had a secret meeting with the two Oath Keepers. One came up from Florida. The other flew down from uh, New York, and we met them. uh, I didn't meet them, but I met Joe there uh, in uh, North Carolina where that meeting was taking place, and that was the beginning of this whole thing. I mean, Joe was doing great Old school, hardcore—you know—gumshoe detective work, and he was making it happen. Wow! And and so the first thing was to get the the two oath keepers on record, and then through them he was able to develop a relationship with Officer Johnson.
4: Um, they're saying they can't hear you very well. Can you flip that mic towards yourself? Oops! It's, yeah, there you go. Is that better? Yeah. And uh, okay, so also his boss, Assistant Chief Pittman, also is no longer. In her position, actually shortly after January 6th, I heard there was a 90-something percent vote of no confidence against her by her force.
5: Yeah, 92 percent no confidence vote uh, by the United States Capitol Police Union, which is all of the officers, obviously. Uh, And and this vote took place only five weeks after the event. So (laughs) they knew. They remembered. They, they were very well aware that this was a serious breakdown wow. coming from her direction. Now, as I said before, whether she was a deer in the headlights or mm-hmm. she was participating in a plot, a bigger conspiracy of some sort, that's mm-hmm. all on the table because we don't know the answer to that question yet. But you know where she is now?
4: Uh, I heard she went to UC Berkeley.
5: She is now the chief of police for the University of California, Berkeley. And I wonder who got her that job in San Francisco.
4: Pelosi? <laughs> the plot thickens, you guys. But she, I mean, she stayed on on the force just for another year plus, right? Yeah, yeah.
5: When, when... Um uh, Stephen Sund, the chief, was forced to resign the next day. You know, he had to, wow. fall, he had to fall on the sword, obviously. Wow. And when he was forced to resign the next day, she was elevated to acting chief, I think, for about the next eight months. Because of her a vote of no confidence from almost the entire force... Uh, she was not then given the permanent position, so they did hire somebody else uh, to take over as uh, the chief of, poli- of the United States Capitol Police, and then she remained. She got her old job back as the assistant chief in head of intelligence <laughs> operations for the the force, and then uh, she just recently. In fact, I think she started her job this month. Yeah, so I think she started her job this month uh, in California uh, as the chief. I'm sure she got probably, you know, double her pay, and she's out there on the West Coast. Got a really cushy life now.
4: I would say that it's a step down, though. Berkeley, uh, compared to the U.S. Capitol?
5: Maybe a step down in prestige, Mm -hmm. but I bet the pay is better. And they got her on the other side of the country, so she, um... Stay
4: stay safe out there, Berkeley. You're in good hands. (laughs) Not. All right. I'm seeing you. Some of you guys are trolling Uh-oh. both Steve and me. You're calling us bad actors or part of the matrix. We're a part of the matrix. I think because you were talking about the violence on that one part of the Capitol. Granted, it was a mostly peaceful protest. It was, yes. But, but there were. If you haven't seen the video, there were little sections that were actually very violent. Now, nobody had guns, so. I don't see how this is insurrection when nobody had guns, yeah. but there was there was violence. There there was um, pushing, shoving, punching, throwing things.
5: I I describe some of these individuals, and I'm not going to insult your audience at all because I have to deal with the same thing. I dealt with the same thing when part one of this series came out just the other day, and I call it you know uh, PDS, police derangement syndrome. Oh. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it happens on both extremes. You, you and I are both libertarians. Well, when you get to the extreme side, on the anarchy side of libertarianism, they don't believe in the justification for any police forces whatsoever. They believe that those are unconstitutional. They're standing armies. So anything, you just mention a police force and automatically their force fields are up and they don't want to hear anything about a police force. Certainly nothing favorable about a police officer or a police force. And then on the other extreme you have the uh, pretend anarchists which we call today Antifa, you know, and and they obviously have just as low disregard for police and you have the defund the police movement on the left and the extreme right. Uh-huh. But what happens in a situation like this, Ivory, is that Despite the evidence, you can...
4: Look at this. (laughs) Ivory's an actor working for Brandon. (laughs) It's not
5: true, guys. But you get get this kind of response from people that are so entrenched in their own bias that they don't understand and they won't listen beyond even my own headline or your headline, is that, yes, 99.998% of that crowd there that day were there for peaceful purposes. They didn't show up with weapons. (laughs) Ivory and her guests are bad actors here. (laughs) They didn't show up with that. But there were about 200 to 225 people who came with violence in mind and the resources to commit that violence, and they did so. Mm -hmm. And then everything busted loose from there. Now... Whether, whether those people were working for Trump, whether they were working for Pelosi and McConnell, whether they were working independently for um, uh, right-wing militias or left-wing Antifa types. That's all on the table. And uh, many of those questions have not been successfully answered yet, although several individual characters have been. But, but to say, you know, that we're bad actors because we're truth seekers, that's, that's kind of... It's kind of out there.
4: Exactly. I I agree. One of them commented, yeah, yeah, uh, Ivory is because uh, she is part of the Matrix because she was talking about athletes dropping on the field back in 2019.
5: Yes, I remember (laughs) your story about that and you getting in trouble about that. It's true,
4: you guys. I was working for Fox in 2019, and they assigned me to cover athletes dying suddenly in 2019. This has always happened. I it, it does seem like the rate at which it's happening has escalated, though. And we should definitely f- question the pharmaceutical companies. But when we're seeking the truth about Damar Hamlin, we have to bear in mind that anything's possible, and it could have been the same reason that people died in 2019. Suddenly, you know, we, we have to factor everything in. Back then, sometimes they, they were saying, uh, some energy drinks and things were messing right. with people's hearts. There's a lot of things that can mess with your heart. It could definitely be that new pharmaceutical, and we should look into all of it. That's what I'm saying. But I got backlash for saying that.
5: Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm going to tell you when I when I uh, I graduated from high school a long time ago, <laughs> back in the last century. You know.
1: And
5: and so here's here's what happened. The girl that went to the prom, the senior prom, with me. Uh. She and her. Um, second year of college, she was sitting in her dorm room with her roommate, and she, nineteen years old, she dropped dead. What? She just her heart just stopped. No reason, nothing revealed in the autopsy. Her her me- electronics, her mechanics, her whatever, it just stopped, and she just died.
4: Actually, this happened to a girl from my high school too. Um, back in my hometown, it was she was maybe 4 years ahead of me so i i wasn't you know i never i didn't know her from my class or anything but she died like as a sophomore or junior in high school like just while showering she just like collapsed and her heart stopped and she was in impeccable shape as a cross country runner mm. so it's interesting how it happens to these athletes who their hearts should just
5: be superb But But when we tell these stories, that doesn't negate the possibility, the very real possibility. Of this
4: pharmaceutical, absolutely.
5: Of this pharmaceutical increasing the risk of that happening. That's what we're saying. And these individuals that say these comments like this, that we're part of the matrix because we think rationally and we have the experience of having lived or reported on or researched or me being there. I have people that tell me. About January 6th. I had one the other day. She says, I've seen the video. Don't patronize me. <laughs> and I'm like, I took the video, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, you that's amazing.
4: <laughs> uh, thanks for the super chat, Toby. You guys are doing a superb job of laying this out. Thanks for the love, you know. Thanks, yeah, we, we We pay most attention to the love, not the hate, but. You know, I'm all about some constructive criticism, too. But I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to try to get to the truth, you guys. The truth could lie anywhere. So you can't have too much tunnel vision. Because if you think one pharmaceutical is the only danger, then, then you're setting yourself up to die from some other thing. So stay awakened,
5: you guys. <laughs> but Biden said he stopped big pharma. <laughs> Remember,
4: yeah, uh,
3: over and
5: big... over again. He took them down. He
4: took as them down. as he was
5: funneling billions, right? Their direction, begging
4: Congress for more money for, right. for them. I was just thinking, you know, how he said um, he would. Biden kept saying that, you know, we Americans would need F-15 fighter jets to actually go against the government. Right. Yet he also thinks January 6 was an insurrection when all they had was flagpoles for weapons. Right. So. Which is it, Bud? Yeah,
5: I've I've made that comment over and over and over again in the dozens and dozens of interviews I've done about January 6th. Is they've asked me, was this an insurrection? And I said, flagpoles and bear spray does not an insurrection make.
0: <laughs> no but way, I also
5: uh... said, if they come back next time and they bring real weapons with them, it's not going to be pretty.
4: Yeah, exactly. So... We'll see how this how how the future plays out because tensions have continued to grow, and there's been people in my comment section who are ready for something real, (laughs) for a freaking real insurrection.
5: Mine as well.
4: Yeah. Uh, So we'll see it happen. If you look at history, it kind of things like this, like leading up to civil war, there were these little battles, small groups trying for something. And those were the little warning signs. Mm-hmm. So maybe January 6 was a small warning sign leading up to an actual civil war.
5: could could be, or it could be, could be, our be our what horizon. prevents one from happening prematurely, or you know, maybe, maybe, the better angels of both sides' natures come to some realization that if we don't calm down the rhetoric a little bit, and calm down this insane division that we have in this country right now, which is unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime, yeah. uh, particularly, that we will get there. Nobody wants that. I don't want that for my children.
4: Mainly calm down the tyranny, Biden. Yeah. And have some freaking respect for the law and for our borders. People people have been getting fed up about the border crisis. Yeah. Um, for the justice system, you know, seeing how these... People from January 6 are being prosecuted, yeah. so there's a lot of tensions rising, and we've talked about how similar there's there's parallels with the tensions that are rising right now to the tensions that were rising amongst the original American patriots back in the 1770s mm-hmm. that led to the formation of this nation.
5: So, you know, we could we could uh, throw the um, the the Matrix accusers a bone right now if you want to. Okay, you want me too? All right. So the last time I was in Houston, you know what I was here for. Yeah. I was investigating a a child trafficking uh, lead that I had. Yeah. What ultimately happened on that trip is I ended up riding shotgun with a private investigator, tracking down ourselves that night a child trafficker that operates in eight different states who had been given the file on this particular trafficker by the FBI... I held the file in my hand, I opened it, it's the FBI's own file, all the information about this trafficker. The photographs of the, him, the girls, all the information that they had on this individual. And they handed it to a private investigator. And do you know why? Why? They're too busy out arresting grandmothers that carried a Trump flag through the Capitol to spend time actually rescuing children being sold into sex trafficking
4: wow that's really messed
5: up that's really messed up and that's for you you know guys that believe that we're part of the matrix
4: there you go yeah we're just trying to get to the truth on as much as we can Uh, but thanks for the love and the hate it all helps the algorithm like share subscribe Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye. Thank
5: you, Alirene.
2: antedb. <laughs>